uh, person, as is described here, it says in the latter part, yet will not his foolishness depart from him. And the idea of this verse is, though a fool would be punished, and though a fool would be even severely punished, uh, adequate to his foolishness, he will continue in that foolishness. He's not going to change. Uh, And that's kind of the idea of this verse. And... uh, a good example of that, of course, is, uh, is Pharaoh in the Old Testament. Turn back with me. Save your spot in Proverbs 27 as we'll be back there. But turn with me to Exodus chapter 7. Exodus chapter number 7. And I have to address this at least a little bit. Uh, because in, throughout, the, throughout the passage of Exodus chapter 7 all the way up to Exodus, I believe it's chapter 11 or maybe 10 is the last place it, it shows up. We find that Pharaoh's heart is hardened. And sometimes it says that Pharaoh hardens his own heart, and sometimes it says that the Lord hardens Pharaoh's heart. And and so I just want to clarify, uh, or perhaps give us another perspective on that idea, because we do know this, that God did not create us as robots. But we also know that God is working a larger plan many times and a bigger picture than we understand. And uh, and I don't know, maybe this will just help. Have you ever worked with epoxy? Uh, like a two-part epoxy. I've worked with that stuff, and, and you mix up the, the one part, and then you've got to add the hardener in there, and, and then you mix that, and after you mix that hardener in there, uh, it finally hardens, I mean, it, and it becomes very hard. And, uh, and so I just want to give this as kind of my thoughts on, on God hardening Pharaoh's heart, is that, uh, listen, God knows the circumstances of mankind. And God was certainly, uh, let, me, let me explain the bigger picture of all of this, of, of God uh, going through all the plagues in Israel, was certainly to show that God is more powerful than any God in Egypt. They had the gods of the rivers. They had the gods of the, uh, of the fields. They had the gods of the rains. They had many gods that they worshipped. They would pray that it would rain. They would pray that their cattle would be protected. But it was to multiple gods. It was not to the gods. God. And so God's greater uh, uh, picture that he was trying to form in, in all of this, this is very clear, is that God is more powerful than any Egyptian God that existed. That's very clear. And so that, I believe, is, is abundantly clear. But God would take the circumstances of Pharaoh, and God can, uh, if you picture the life of Pharaoh, is kind of like the first part of the epoxy that you would mix up, and then if you throw the circumstances in as the hardener, God can use those circumstances, and all of a sudden Pharaoh's heart is hardened. Uh, because God knows what circumstances uh, that, that are going to harden Pharaoh's heart. And so, uh, so I just kind of throw that out there as an as a alternative perspective and just an alternative thought uh, about God hardening Pharaoh's heart and also Pharaoh hardening his own heart. But look with me in Exodus chapter 7 and verse number 3. The Bible says this, And I will harden Pharaoh's heart, and multiply his signs and my wonders in the land of Egypt. But Pharaoh shall not hearken unto you that I may lay my hand upon Egypt and bring forth mine armies and my people, the children of Israel, out of the land of Egypt by great judgments. That's God's purpose in all the plagues. And he goes on in verse 5. And the Egyptians shall know that I am the Lord. 
when I stretch forth mine hand upon Egypt and bring out the children of Israel from among them. Uh, verse number six. And Moses and Aaron did as the Lord commanded them, so did they. And Moses was fourscore years old, and Aaron fourscore and three years old when they spake unto Pharaoh. And so uh, you can see that they've gone into Pharaoh. Uh, let's go to verse eight there. And the Lord spake unto Moses and unto Aaron, saying, When Pharaoh shall speak unto you, saying, Show a miracle for you, uh, then thou shalt say unto Aaron, Take thy rod and cast it before Pharaoh, and it shall become a serpent. And Moses and Aaron went in unto Pharaoh, and they did so as the Lord had commanded. And Aaron cast down his rod before Pharaoh and before his servants, and it became a serpent. Then Pharaoh also called the wise men and sorcerers. Now the magicians of Egypt, they also did in like manner with their enchantments. For they cast down every man his rod, and they became serpents. But Aaron's rod swallowed up their rods, and he hardened Pharaoh's heart, and he hearkened not unto them as the Lord had said. This was the first test. That, that Moses and Aaron would go in and that they would show, hey, we are servants of the Most High God. And God had already set it up uh, and said, listen, cast down the serpent or the, the rod and it'll turn into a serpent. And certainly it did that. And so uh, Pharaoh, being as hard-hearted as he was, uh, was still want, not wanting to accept or understand that God is God. He brought in his own magicians and his own sorcerers. And he threw down, they, they threw down their staffs and they also became serpents. You say, well, what's that about? Listen, the, the devil certainly has power here on this earth. And there is limited things that he can do. Now, granted, I love the, I love the passage because Aaron's serpent ate those other serpents all up. That just amazed me. He just swallowed them all up. And then, and then Aaron reached down and grabbed his, his, the serpent and picked it back up and it became a, a rod again. And, uh, and, and you see what happened. It was kind of like God saying, well... You might be able to do some stuff, but I tell you what, I'm still bigger than you. And, and Pharaoh's heart was hardened. Now here we have a fool in his foolishness saying, I am not going to submit to God. I don't care what it takes. That's kind of the idea behind Pharaoh's hardness of his heart and his refusal to accept the fact that Moses and Aaron were sent from God Almighty. Turn with me to chapter 8, verse number 5 and 6. We're not going to read all the passages, but we're going to just fly through several of these. Uh, Exodus chapter 8 and verse 5. The Bible says, And the Lord spake unto Moses, saying unto Aaron, Say unto Aaron, stretch forth thine hand with thy rod over the streams, over the rivers, and over the ponds, and cause frogs to come up upon the land of Egypt. And Aaron stretched out his hand over the waters of Egypt, and the frogs came up and covered the land of Egypt. Jump down with me to verse 14 and 15. And they gathered them together. We'll go back to verse 13. And the Lord did according to the word of Moses, and the frogs died out of the houses, out of the villages, and out of the fields. And they gathered them together upon heaps, and the land stank. But when Pharaoh saw that there was respite, he hardened his heart and hearkened not unto them as the Lord had said. In other words, as Mark Rogers sings that song, I'll never forget him. He'll forever be embedded in my mind as the guy singing that song. One more night with them stinking frogs. 
That's, that's Pharaoh's hard-heartedness. That's him being brayed with a, with, a, uh, with, a, with a pestle in a mortar as wheat, and now they're being ground, and God's punishing him, and he's saying, listen, I'm more powerful than your gods of your waters and of your lakes and of your rivers. And God called those frogs out on, dry, on the land, and they all came out, and they took over all of Egypt, and, and finally... Uh, uh, Pharaoh says, oh, send them away. And, and, uh, and Moses prays for them and they die and they pile them in, in heaps and they stink. But we see that even with that, he hardened his heart. Go with me to uh, Exodus chapter, well, chapter 8 there and verse number 17. Look with me there. And they did so for as Aaron stretched out his hand and his rod and smote the dust of the earth, and it became lice in man and in beast. All the dust of the land became lice throughout all the land of Egypt. And the magicians did so with their enchantments to bring forth lice, but they could not. So there was lice upon man and upon beast. Verse 19. Then the magician said unto Pharaoh, This is the finger of God. They're starting to get it. The finger of God. And Pharaoh's heart was hardened, and he hearkened not unto them as the Lord had said. So we've had frogs. We've had the miracle of the, the, the serpent, uh, the, the rod being turned to the serpent. We have lice. And, and Pharaoh is still saying, listen, I am not going to bend. I'm not going to bow. I'm not going to give in to God. I'm going to remain firm. Look with me down in verse 32 of the same chapter. Or verse 30, I'm sorry, verse 30. And Moses went forth from Pharaoh and entreated the Lord. And the Lord did according to the word of Moses. And he removed the swarms of flies from Pharaoh and his servants and from the people. There remained not one. And Pharaoh hardened his heart at this time also. Neither would he let the people go. He's been punished and he's punished and he's punished. And he's not going to give up. Look in chapter 9 and verse 3. And the Bible says, Behold, the hand of the Lord is upon thy cattle, which is in the field, upon the horses, upon the asses, upon the camels, upon the oxen, upon the sheep. And there shall be a very grievous moraine. And the Lord shall sever between the cattle of Israel and the cattle of Egypt. And there shall nothing die of all that is the children's of Israel. And the Lord appointed a set time saying, Tomorrow the Lord shall do this thing in the land. And the Lord did that thing on the morrow. And all the cattle of Egypt died. But of the cattle of the children of Israel died not one. And Pharaoh sent, and behold, there was not one of the cattle of the Israelites dead, and the heart of Pharaoh was hardened, and he did not let the people go. Look at verse 11. And the magicians could not stand before Moses because of the boils, for the boils was upon the magicians and upon all the Egyptians. And the Lord hardened the heart of Pharaoh, and he hearkened not unto them as the Lord had spoken unto Moses. Look at chapter 10 and verse number 1. And the Lord said unto Moses, Go in unto Pharaoh, for I have hardened his heart and the heart of his serpents, uh, servants, uh, that I might show these my signs before him. 
and that thou mayest tell in the ears of thy son and of thy son's son what things I have wrought in Egypt and my signs which I have done among them that ye may know how that I am the Lord. And Moses and Aaron came in unto Pharaoh and said unto him, Thus saith the Lord God of the Hebrews, How long wilt thou refuse to humble thyself before me? Let my people go that they may serve me. And he refused. He just refused. Time and time again, we'll see that throughout the passage of, of, of Pharaoh refusing to humble himself before God. You know what that is? That's foolishness. That is the exact definition of foolishness. Somebody who would refuse to, uh, to, to uh, accept the word of God. Somebody who would refuse to submit to God as the authority. And it even gets all the way down to where he does let them go. And you know the story. Right after that, he says, I'm going to go after them. Now, now I mean, they have, they have had all these plagues. If you talk about being uh, brayed as a, uh, as a grain of wheat in a mortar with a pestle, that's it. I mean, they've suffered loss of their, uh, they've suffered physical body, bodily ailments. They've suffered loss financially as their cattle have all died. They've suffered loss as their firstborn has been slain. They've suffered many, many difficulties uh, because this fella, Pharaoh, refused to submit to God. And he didn't get it. He just said, no, I'm not doing it. And finally, when he did let the Israelites go, he, 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 they weren't gone very long before he assembled an army and chased after them. And you find the end of Pharaoh ended in the Red Sea after all the Israelites crossed over. And God allowed the... You go back and read it. I love the passage. You go back and read it. The Bible says that they chased after them with their, their chariots and God pulled the wheels of those chariots off. He made them fall off as they were crossing the Red Sea. You know what happens when you get a flat tire on a chariot? They don't send spares with them. And so they were dragging along, and those horses simply could not pull them. And, and before long, uh, God, God took his hand out of the Red Sea and allowed the waters to collapse and killed those guys. Go back to Proverbs 27 and 22. The Bible says, Though thou shouldest bray a fool in a mortar among wheat with a pestle, yet will not his foolishness depart from him. What a picture of Pharaoh being a foolish person. What a good reminder for us to be humble to God. Listen, sometimes God comes to us. And sometimes God uh, chastens us, and the Bible talks about that in Hebrews chapter 12, and we find that, uh, that there is a chastening of the children. If you're saved, listen, God will chasten you, and, and you'll know, well, I'm being chastened. And, and listen, the best thing to do is submit and give in to God and say, God, you're right, and I'm wrong. And I need to get my heart right and I need to get my life right. And so we find that the character of a fool is somebody who is just going to refuse to heed and humble themselves before God. Go with me to uh, Proverbs 27, verse 15 and 16. The Bible says, A continual dropping in a very rainy day and a contentious woman are alike. Whosoever hideth her, hideth the wind and the ointment of his right hand, which berayeth itself. The first one, we have the character of the fool. The second one, we have the covering 
of foolishness. It's interesting, this verse, and uh, there's several of them throughout the book of Proverbs. Proverbs 19, 13 says, A foolish son is the calamity of his father, and the contentions of a wife are a continual dropping. Proverbs 21, 9 says, It is better to dwell in a corner of the housetop than with a brawling woman in a wide house. Proverbs 21, 19 says, It is better to dwell in the wilderness than with a contentious and an angry woman. Proverbs 25, 24, It is better to dwell in the corner of a housetop than with a brawling woman and a wide house. Those are just... Uh, those are just Statement of fact verses. You want to, don't get mad at me. I'm just reading you the Bible. That's what the Bible says. You know, I was reminded as I was looking at those of our Sunday school lessons, we're going over the Holy Spirit in the adult Sunday school class, and we're going over the, the works of them. And, and I was reminded of these verses, Galatians 19. Uh, I'm just going to read you a few pertinent parts, but it says, Now the works of the flesh are manifest, which are these? And in that list is wrath, and strife. But it goes on to say, but the fruit of the Spirit is love, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness. Those are just some of the characteristics. And what I want to point out and what I want us to understand out of these verses is the Bi they're, they're pretty clear, they're pretty easy to understand, but uh, the Bible says a continual dropping in a very rainy day and a contentious woman are alike. Contention is, uh, we've covered this before, is striving to be better than somebody else, striving to have a higher position than somebody else. So it's strife, it's, it's arguing, going back and forth. The Bible says that the works of the flesh are these, wrath and strife. That would be contentions. And reality is, if we allow our flesh to run away with ourselves, uh, then we will, be, uh, we will be contentious, and we will be wrathful, and we will be uh, filled with strife. But if we allow the Holy Spirit to take over our life and to dominate our will, and if we submit ourselves to God, then the fruit of the Spirit is love. That's pretty much the opposite of strife and contention. Long-suffering, that's pretty much the opposite of strife and contention. Goodness, that's the opposite. I mean, those are, those are gentleness. Those are, uh, those are kind descriptions. And what the Bible would, would have us understand is, listen, this is not an external, but rather an internal issue of the heart. We need to understand that contentions often come from the heart. It goes on in verse 16, and it's a continuation of a thought. It is not the end of uh, these two verses are, are coupled together, I believe. And, and verse 16, it says, Whoever hideth her, hideth the wind, and the ointment of his right hand, which berayeth itself. And this is the idea of covering of foolishness. In other words, that somebody would try to uh, hide these contentions from the heart. And uh, listen, many times people want to blame everyone else for the contention. Well, if that person wasn't like that, then it wouldn't bother me. The fact of the matter is we can, I've, I've said this many times, we, you cannot control people around you, but you can control you. You can't control how people act around you. You can't control what other people are going to say. You can't control the actions of other people. But what you can control is yourself. 
We need to be careful that our heart does not get out of control. Many times people want to blame other people and they're trying to cover their problems uh, with problems of other people and say, well, they're, they're, they're at fault and it's their problem and it's not my problem. Listen, covering up our, our foolishness and our strife and our contentions is not going to help anything. And it's not going to make a difference because it's a heart problem that we need to deal with. The Bible says it would have us to understand in verse 15, a continual dropping in a very rainy day. Well, today we had a lot of rain. That's a good illustration of that. You ever had a uh, a leak in a roof? And man, that water just drips. And, And you know, you can take a bucket and you can stick it under that drip. You can take uh, some form of uh, something and and put it under that drip and catch the drips, but but it does not fix the problem. If you don't deal with the heart of the issue, if you're just putting a bucket under the drip, uh, then listen, you're only catching the the symptom. You're You're not dealing with the root of the issue. The root of the issue is you've got to get up there. And you've got to patch the roof. You've got to fix the, the, the leak. You've got you to cover the problem. Uh, because if it's let go, it will continue to drip. And man, have you ever heard the drip? Man, it's annoying. Drip, drip, drip. You're just trying to think. You're trying to read. You're trying to drip. And it's always just nonstop. It's just there. Dripping and driving you crazy. That's what a contentious spirit will do to you. And listen, it The second verse, verse 16, it says, Whosoever hideth her, hideth the wind and the ointment of his right hand. I think it's interesting. He used these two illustrations, the wind and the ointment. I was sitting in my... Uh, setting at my house today and, and, and uh, even in the office and, and the storms blew up and man, the wind was blowing. And you know, you can try as you will, you cannot see that wind. Isn't that amazing? Hey, Jesus said that. He said, the, the wind bloweth where it listeth and, and you know not where it cometh from because you cannot see the wind. You can't actually physically see the air moving. You can see the effects of it. I was watching my tree branch. I was like, usually, I liked, I'm, I'm always interested sometimes when I'm driving and I feel my car shake because I spend a lot of time on the road. I feel my car shake. I'll, I'll usually watch the trees on the side of the road and see which way the wind's blowing. And usually it's just blowing straight across and you can tell because the, the, the branches are all kind of folded that way. But I was watching the branches and as I was watching them, they were doing this. Woo, woo. And I thought, you don't know... You don't know where that wind's coming from. You don't know where it's going. But I can tell you this, when your branches are circling around, I'm like, that ain't just blowing across. That's kind of weird. And you can see the effects of the wind, but you can't see the wind. The same thing is true with the ointment. You know, you uh, you cannot see perfume once it's applied. You take some perfume and, and you apply it and, uh, and you know what? You can't see it. I can't, I can't walk around and say, oh, yep, they're wearing perfume. They're wearing perfume because I can see it. No, you can't see it. But if you get in a crowd of people and somebody's wearing perfume, you're like, somebody's wearing perfume. I don't know who it is because I can't see it. But you can certainly tell the effects of it. 
And I think Solomon used those two things as a very succinct point of the fact that, hey, the effects of contention many times can be felt, though they cannot be seen. And sometimes you can't even pinpoint from where they're coming from, but it's certainly obvious that there is contention there and that there is something there because you can see the effects of the wind. You can smell the effects of the perfume, though you cannot see it. It's not always visible. Because it's buried in the heart. But whatever's in the heart's going to come out at some point in our life. And we've got to deal with the heart of the issue and not cover it up. The Bible says, we're right there in Proverbs 28, um, verse number 13. Look at what it says there, Proverbs 28, 13. He that covereth his sins shall not prosper, but whoso confesseth and forsaketh them shall have mercy. The only effective way to cover the issue is to confess it to God and get it right. That's the only way to take care of that. Covering foolishness is foolish and it's just going to lead to more foolishness. Go with me one more verse and we'll finish with this. A fairly simple verse. Proverbs 27 and verse number 11. The Bible says this. My son, be wise and make my heart glad that I may answer him that reproacheth me. Correction of foolishness. We have in verse number 11, we see the character of foolishness in verse 22 and how that they don't depart from their foolishness. We see the covering of foolishness in verses 15 and 16. And, and in verse number 11, we can see the correction of foolishness. And as I look at this verse, I think it speaks to two things. Number one, I think it speaks to the parental responsibility. Not everyone has children, we understand that, but, uh, but those who do have a children have a responsibility to raise and instruct and train their children. I said this first in the beginning of the message, uh, Proverbs twenty two fifteen that foolishness is bound in the heart of a child, but the rod of correction shall drive it far from him. Ephesians 6, 4 says, And ye fathers, provoke not your children to wrath, but bring them up in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. And if we have children, if you have children, there's a responsibility to, to bring them up in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. There's a responsibility to teach them the ways of God. There's a responsibility to teach them the things of God. There's a responsibility to make sure that, hey, the foolishness is uh, removed from their heart and replaced with the Word of God in their heart. We find that there's a parental responsibility but I know that not everyone has children, and I understand that. And many times our children are, are grown, and, and they're past the point of, of really giving instruction. Though you can always have an influence, you might not be able to give the instruction that you once were able to when they were younger. Uh, you can certainly, I, I, would, I would say this, don't ever give up on your influence in your children. You can always pray for them. You can always counsel them. You can always encourage them to do right, even if they're older. But then not only the parental responsibility, there's the personal responsibility. That's this. Not everyone in this room has children or children that are young or at home, but everyone is a child of someone in this room. 
And so we have a responsibility as we think about this verse to, uh, to please our Father. The Bible says in verse number 11, My son, he's writing it as to his child, Be wise and make my heart glad. We have a responsibility to submit to God. We talked about that, that a fool would not submit, that Pharaoh would not submit to God. He refused. The Bible said he wouldn't humble himself. How long will you refuse to humble yourself before God? Listen, uh, what, what, would make our, what should make our parents happy is that we would submit to God. We live a right and good life. Maybe your parents are gone. I had this thought that God is our Heavenly Father. And you can read this verse as though God Himself is talking to you. He says, My son, be wise and make my heart glad that I may answer him that reproacheth me. You know, if we live a right life, it will will make God pleased. God still loves you. Understand that. I'm not saying that God does not love you. He loves you because you're his child. Anybody who's had a child that's uh, messed up in their life, you still love that child. It's not that you, you don't like that child. You still love that child, but it saddens you. It grieves you to see them do something that would be foolish in their life. Just as God, our Heavenly Father, loves us, but oh, how He wants us to, to do well. How He wants us to make wise choices in our life. And He closes out that verse by saying that I may answer Him that reproacheth me. Listen, it, it's just a blessing to God to see His children live for Him and do right. It's not just a blessing to God, it's a blessing to you as well. Your life will be blessed if you live for God. Uh, we go back all the way to the first verse we started with. Though thou shouldest bray a fool in a mortar among wheat with a pestle, yet will not his foolishness depart with from him, In other words, uh, that he'll continue in that and, and eventually it will lead to his demise. It will lead to his destruction as it did with Pharaoh. But listen, as a child of God and as a Christian, hey, we can walk with God and we can have a life that is well-pleasing to our Father. And that would make him happy. And I tell you what, I want to please the Lord with my life. I desire to Please the Lord in the things that I say, in the way that I live, in the things that I do in my life on a regular basis. And, and this Bible, this verse is very clear. My son, be wise and make my heart glad. That's the opposite of foolishness. Making wise choices, making wise decisions with our life. That I may answer him that reproacheth me. God wants us to live wise lives. We have the character of the fool in verse 22. We have the covering of foolishness and then the correction of foolishness in verse number 11 there that we looked at. Being wise, making wise choices. We all have foolishness bound in our heart, but if we make wise choices, if we follow God, if we submit our lives to God, it'll be well-pleasing to God and it will be a blessing to each and every person that follows his word. I've never, I've never run into somebody, I've never run into a Christian that said, I regret living the Christian life. I've never, I've never met somebody that said, I wish I hadn't have gone to church so much. 
I've never met somebody who said, I wish I hadn't read my Bible so much. Or I wish I hadn't prayed so much. But I met a lot of people who said, I wish I would have spent more time in church. I wish I would have read my Bible more. I wish I would have prayed more. I wish I would have submitted myself to God more in my life than what I did. Why? Because it's a blessing to do that. It'll help you. It'll make your life better. And it'll make God well pleased with us. With every head bowed and every eye closed as we stand to our feet, the correction of foolishness is simply submitting to God. God, I pray that you would just help us. So we think about this foolishness, and God, 